you want to ditch feature dumping, build trust and earn the opportunity to become your prospect's trusted guide, then say hello to the Influential Communicator newsletter. Now, listen, my friend, my intention is clear because with one actionable weekly email keyword actionable my goal is to transform you into a captivating storyteller communicator and presenter so if this is a bit of you then head on down to www.theinfluentialcommunicator.com to register now and by the way if you do sign up know that you'll also receive my free guide on how to craft a punchy and high converting elevator story i'll see you on the other side Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. From radiology, the NHL, and the world of tech sales, Jen Glabicki has been there, done that, and worn the t-shirt, man. And my next guest is the Director of Revenue Enablement and Marketing over at Fidel API. And today, she's going to kick it with me to talk about a topic that I think needs to be addressed, but isn't addressed enough. And as a recovering people pleaser myself, I'm excited for this topic. So... That topic, by the way, is how to say no with warmth and set boundaries in the workplace as a seller. Welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Ravi. And a recovering people pleaser is now my new favorite term. And oh, if yeah. there are support groups for that, we got to start one of those if there's not. <laughs> you, you, so it sounds as though you yourself are a recovering people pleaser. Yes, to the nth degree. That used to be my MO. It's like, what can I do? How can I do better? And how can I do more? That's Mm. all the time. (laughs) Where do you think that stems from for you? I don't know. I just think in general, that's my personality outside of work, but also in work. I thought it was my key or ticket to moving up in my career, standing Mm. out from the rest. I thought if I did more, and I I don't care if you're a male, female, monkey, tiger, but as a female, that was how I thought, okay, I can keep up with the boys and I can always make sure that I'm going to stand out and do better if I can can do more as well. So I think Mm. that was part of it. Was there a moment in your career that you specifically remember where you said to yourself, man, you know, enough is enough. I'm done with this people pleasing business. Yes, yes. I had one point in my career where... I worked for a very, very large company. I would be working till midnight and it would be between myself and one other employee. She and I would joke that it's your turn to go home first. And still at 1, 2 a.m., we'd see each other and say, all right, it's your turn. And it would be between myself, her, and the cleaning lady that would come along. And what ended up happening is we worked so hard, so hard, and we thought we were doing the best thing. We thought we were going to move up. We thought we were very well liked. Well, when layoffs came around, guess who got let go? myself. Mm. And she did as well in a later layoff. But once I got let go, they had me go to a uh, job fair where two to 300 outside applicants were also included. Instead of just saying, hey, Jen, you'd be a great fit for this role. They had me walk around talking to these outside applicants. And I didn't even get time to speak to the hiring manager because they had me spending time talking to the outside applicants about how wonderful this company was. And you should definitely want to work here because of X, Y, Z. And I ended up 
shooting myself in the foot. I didn't get back into the company. And I was so upset. I couldn't believe it. I did so much work for the company. I worked so hard and long hours and people pleasing and all of these things. And it really didn't matter. I was a number. I wasn't a name. I did what the company needed at that time. And that was it. Out the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Wow. Wow. That sounds as though you can now talk about it with humor because clearly it was a long time ago. But I can imagine in the moment that must have been heartbreaking for you. I never stopped. I never stopped talking about it, Ravi, to the point where my old coworkers were kind of sick of it. In all transparency, a couple of them stopped talking to me because it was annoying for them, rightly so. But I learned a lesson. It's not you know, how many people you can please, how many hours you can put in over another. It's filling your cup and feeling like, okay, I can lay my head to bed tonight. And I used to have a coworker that sat next to me every day, 5 p.m. It didn't matter what she was working on, fire drill or not. I watched her put her pen down on her notebook, get her purse, get her jacket and walk out the door. And mm. it, it, to me, it was like, well, why is she able to do that? How can't, how come I can't do that? But it just really showed me that she set those boundaries and why boundaries are so important, because she showed that the next day she was really needed to continue that fire drill, to continue working on those projects, whereas I continue to work on them and finish them right away. So it's like Jen must need to have more work. Jen, you know, she might not be busy enough. So let's continue to pile more on her plate. Whereas this other girl, she's like, nope, I'm done. So they, they can wait until tomorrow. So she created that necessity for her role, whereas I just kept working right through, thinking that if I get this done, they're going to be really impressed, which wasn't the case. Wow. Isn't that funny when it comes to the stories that we tell ourselves and <laughs> the level of often delusion around them? But what I find interesting <laughs> is what you said about your coworker who put her pen down and was like, boom, I'm done. I'm out. Because what she did was she taught other people around her how to treat her, right? By enforcing those boundaries from the get-go. So what I'm curious is when it comes to early sellers, or rather not early sellers, let's say people who are entering the workforce, maybe a couple of years in, where they want to impress, they want to advance in their career, but they're secretly scared to say no because they feel like it will work against them. How does somebody like that set boundaries in a warm and effective way? Yes. So when I was in, in my selling career, one of the things that I wish I had done differently instead of you know becoming the bobblehead and yeah, sure, I'll do that. Yep, yeah, okay, cool. I would have gone back and done something differently instead of continuing to sell or trying to sell. I would make note of that. So if my manager had come to me and said, when you're going into your sales call, make sure that you're a little more bubbly or make sure that you're spending time really trying to listen to learn versus listening to answer. What I would do is, do you mind if we role play that? And then we call it quits for the day. So I can go back in and research a little bit and do some career development read up on different objection handling or read up on different types of activities to learn how to listen to learn versus listen to answer. And that way you're saying, okay, I'm done because I learn best by like kind of parking lot that let's parking lot it for the day. And then let me find a different way to learn that. So oftentimes I would do a role play to show that manager of like, okay, cool. Yep. Thanks. I got it. 
to let's practice this one more time. So I know that I, I am listening to learn and I'm listening to you. Now I'm going to go home and read my book that I've been working on as career development. And that's something that you can use in your review later as well. Oftentimes we forget to document. That's the biggest thing, right? We forget to say, okay, yes, I worked with my manager on X date to listen to learn versus, you know, listen to answer. So those are the things I definitely suggest that early on in the career that people start doing. Career development is huge. So if you're not advocating for yourself, no one else will. And I say that because it's a, I hate saying the word puppy mill, but they're just trying to grind through so that the manager can put those stars on their chart to say, I've gotten person A, B, C, D, either promoted or moving forward in their career, um, closing more deals, et cetera. So the, the career development is, is what's huge. So go home and read those books. Invest in yourself in, in YouTube videos, podcasts, et cetera. When it comes to showcasing boundaries and your priorities, I remember it was the summer of, I think, 2012. Don't quote me on that one, people. But I was an intern in the world of investment banking, right? And I was interning for a huge... American investment bank. Did you just say, God bless you? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? So I was on the trading floor and in the world of corporate sales. And I remember very early, I can't remember who taught me, but what would happen is I would get hit with a thousand things which needed to be done yesterday. Everyone would think that their thing was urgent. So I can't remember who taught me this, but they said, Rav, here's what I would say. Given all of the tasks I currently have on my plate with a due date of X, I would love to know what is the urgency level of your task and is there scope for moving it to accommodate everybody inside of the schedule or something like that? And I remember I was so nervous about saying it at the start, but then people found it impressive because they knew then I was a person of my word and that I was working towards a deadline which I could actually meet versus one which was stemming from people-pleasing. Now, what was interesting, Yeah, I I thought that was quite interesting. And once again, I can't remember who taught me that, but I thought it was fascinating. Now, did I do that all the time? Probably not. Am I human and fell into the trap of saying yes over and over again? Definitely. But what I think the lesson I took from that is by actually setting boundaries with other people, it can tell a positive story or rather it will tell a positive story about who you are versus just saying yes. So when it comes to you, and let's take it back to that early stage seller, couple of years in, their name is Jamie. Jamie's sitting there and his boss, Amanda, says, Jamie, can you do this, 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 and this? And Jamie knows, right, that he can't take on anything more. And actually, it's not going to be good for the business if he does. How does he communicate that to Amanda in a warm, effective and boundary-enforcing way. Well, that's the thing. So to have them come to you, like I look at it too, and I'll answer your question, but let's say Steve Jobs and Bill Gates both come to you separately. And they say, Robbie, I need this project done, and I need it done by midnight. What are you going to do? And they're both like massive, like revenue-changing type projects. How do you not have an oh crap moment and how do you mm. manage that? Mm-hmm. Is this a question for me or is this a rhetorical question? Well, both, but I'd rather, I'd like to see how you'd answer that. Talking to Ravi now, 
versus talking to Ravi as an early stage seller, totally different responses. Now, I would dig deep into questioning and understanding the task, understanding who it's impacting, understanding how it's important to Steve and Bill and what are they being graded on internally? And if there's ways that we could, you know, split that task up, delegate it, I don't know, really understand if midnight is a real deadline or is it one driven from scarcity and actually it's next week. Are they testing me? Like I would dig deep into questioning the Ravi who was 21 years old or whatever would be like, okay, cool, done. Boom, let's go. Let's order some food. Everyone here, let's let's make it happen. Let's do it. So, yeah. But they both yell at you and they say, just Ravi, if you can't do it, I'll find someone who else that can. And they start yelling at me. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Then what? Yeah, well, then it, going back to this version of me today, I would start understanding, okay, why is this person reacting this way? What's actually going on underneath the service? And why is this important to them? Uh, why are they behaving in this way? And is this out of character or is this a theme? If this is the theme, this is teaching me I'm in the wrong workplace, period. If this is out of character, then the evidence is telling me there's something deeper going underneath the surface. So if I have a good relationship with that person, hopefully we can sit down and understand that and work through it. But if this is a theme and I'm collecting evidence for this consistently occurring, the question I'm asking myself then is, is why am I not valuing myself being allowed to be spoken to in this way and not really valuing my self-worth? That's how I would think about it. What about you? Yeah, I think of it too, because honestly, at some point they need a hug. That's pretty much what's what's happening, right? They just need to mm. <laughs> settle down a bit. No, I look at both of them. And to your point, it's if you have a good relationship with them, like, can we just take a step back, like pull them away from people? So it's not in front of a group and people aren't watching them. So they don't feel like they're being any sort of like spoken to in any demeaning way of like, I told you this, you just need to do it. Even if it's the first time that you're interacting with them. And the reason I'm saying this is because what if it is that, you know, 21 year old Ravi and it's a CEO of your company, right? Your first time you're interacting with that person and they're like, I, you come here, like, let's talk about this. That's an intimidating thing. And you want to make sure that you're leaving a good impression or you don't get fired from the first job you've ever gotten out of college. And you want to make that great impression. How do you do that? And that's going to speak volumes if you're like, do you mind if we just step over here for a second? I want to make sure I'm completely understanding what the ask is so that I really can make sure I do a great job for you. And I wouldn't ask if I didn't care about this. So those are the type of things in speaking to that person. That's the way that you can really make that impact. And then however you finish that task and and, and carry it out, that obviously is that second portion, right? And the best and most important part is hey, do you mind if I take some time after to go through this with you to see how I can do another task in the future for you? I want to learn from everything, good, bad, the ugly, whatever. And setting that expectation with Mr. or Mrs. CEO is going to be very important. So they're like, okay, I know what to expect. And even if they blow you off and say, I don't have time for that today. Okay, well, let me know when you do. I'd love to meet with you and make sure that I, I can follow up on, on how my actions and words you know, settled with you. I think that that's important, whether it's Steve, whether it's Bill, you know, whoever it is. But I think as someone that's younger in their career, it's important to start getting that feedback. I never did that, you know, early on in my career. I was my own worst enemy thinking like, oh, my gosh, they just stormed off. How do I know they didn't like the job? Maybe they did like it, but they just didn't take the time to provide any feedback. 
So getting that feedback early on is something that's, that can be really career changing. Sales kickoff season is coming, people, and I love it, man. I love it because it's such an exciting time as a speaker. But for enablement professionals and revenue leaders, well, it can be kind of stressful, you know, and having delivered storytelling keynotes and workshops for revenue teams like NetSuite, Crunchbase and AB Tasty. I know it's not just about motivation and inspiration, but also about finding the right speaker who can educate your audience and spark a long lasting shift in behavior. So, hey, if you are thinking about storytelling as a theme for kicking off your new fiscal year, then head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash speaking to check out my speaker reel, take a look at some of my topics and some customer stories to see if there's a fit. And if there is, then you can scroll down to the bottom and book an alignment call with me directly. All right, let's get back to the show. Super early on in my career, I can remember not fully grasping how to ask what good looks like to that individual. So what was interesting was we had a, a desk of, must have been at its peak, maybe 10 to 15 personalities. I'm talking about real personalities on a testosterone fuel trading floor, right? And what would happen is you would get asked to do something, but everybody had their own view of what good looks like. And I had my Ooh. own view of what good looks like. So when yeah. what was interesting was what I started to learn over time was, ah, okay, this is what good means to this person. Like, Jen, even like in the most basic sense, you know, as an intern in investment banking, you get lunches, you get coffees every day, period. Like that is just given. And what was interesting was there were some people on the desk who would say, okay, I want a sausage sandwich, okay? Sounds simple. One person would say, I like my sausage well done with ketchup. The other's like, mm, I don't want granary, I want white bread. So, you know, we've got the task and it sounds simple, but when you dig deeper, good looks different to different people. And I can promise you this, there were plenty of times where I had to go back down to the sandwich shop, get a new sandwich for that human being because it was not cooked well or whatever it might be. And that was just the environment that we were in, right? It's funny, I don't think I've ever spoken about this on the show, but going back to what you were saying there, good looks different on different people. Yeah. I think that's the thing too, if you're starting off earlier in your career, like not only what good looks like, what does a good manager look like? What does a good uh, team look like? Yeah. You know, and, and that yeah. understanding is so important. And then you can kind of base your career off of that because I can I can definitely say I learned what not to do from my first manager, but then I pull the good out of that first manager. And the one thing that stuck with me from today is this manager told me, I will never ask you to do something I haven't done myself. So if I'm not in the trenches with you doing those exact things, I will never go and ask you to do those, you know, yourself. So that to me, I'm like, okay, as a manager, I have to make sure I follow through with that as well. So to this day, when I have direct reports, I, it's, I wouldn't ask you to do that. I haven't done that myself. 
And immediately a rep's like, wait, what did you just say? (laughs) So it's important to have that. But you're right. And I love that. I love that. It's like, what does good look like? And being detail oriented, that's where that comes in. So if you had a little tear sheet of like, how do you want your your, your brekkie sandwich? Like, what is that? What does that look like? Those are the things that probably would have saved you a bunch of trips, but your Fitbit would have had like lots of steps on it, right? So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's funny. After after I moved from the days of being a rookie to a bit more seasoned every morning, there was like tear sheet, the exact cost, the exact change for everybody, etc. And yeah, you sometimes you got to make those rookie mistakes. But what I'm curious about with what you just mentioned, Jen, is having you, you mentioned having a bad leader taught you what good looks like how does somebody become a leader that people feel comfortable in saying no to I don't know if you felt this early on in your career but sometimes I was scared to say no to certain people so how does somebody become a leader who once again is easy to say no to but still respect there's still respect there yes so my previous boss was so like easy to say no to. I had no problem being like, that's ridiculous. Reason being, and and it's no knock on that person. This is the best manager I've ever had. Shout out to Scott Morris. He made such an awesome environment that made me want to get up and go to work every day. Reason being is because he made me feel like a colleague and never a direct report. He made me feel like I had a voice in a room when I wasn't in the room. And reason being is he would always keep me in loop with the big picture. He made sure that coming to any meetings, I was fully prepped. Hey, Jen, I'm going to expect this of you coming to a meeting. Hey, this is in terms of enablement. This is how it fits into a revenue operations picture. He was really, really good of like, this is something I need. And I'd say no, if that didn't fit into that big picture from my, my lens of enablement. And he empowered me to take enablement like a ball of clay, build it into what I needed for the company. And it was never something he's like, Jen, you're the professional on this. You're the expert. Like, I'm just here to support you. I'm your senior leadership that is is supporting you. And if you tell me that doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But I will tell you if something like, no, Jen, we just actually have to bite the bullet and do this. Okay, I'm all in. So having that dynamic with your manager and having a very... I don't want to say casual, but having a very trusting relationship where I knew he always had my back and I had his because we understood what was best for the business, again, made it so much easier. Like it was a you stress. Like it was a very happy stress where it was like, I got this. Like I can do this. Like, let me go do my jam. And he'd know like I'm going to work on a project. And I'd check in with him. Like I'd tell him more information. He's like, Jen, I know you're doing your work. I'm like, I know, but I didn't have meetings on my schedule for like two hours. So I just wanted you to know I'm do- you know doing a project. It's a great feeling to have that. And that's what I would wish upon everybody because it really makes enablement fun. It really makes any work, marketing, anything fun. So I love what you said around Scott making you feel like a partner versus an employee. That is, and I'm paraphrasing, but that is really, really cool. And by the way, ladies and gents, I said to Jen in the green room, let's call it, this episode, we want to make it 20 minutes because I want to test something shorter. And now I know we're above that, but I actually don't care because I really want to get this juice out of Jen. So Jen, forgive me. But anyway, regardless, I digress. That piece around making somebody feel like a partner What did Scott do exactly to make you feel that way? Was it the way he spoke to you? Was it the type of tasks that he had you work on? Like, what did he do exactly? So 
I'll preface this with saying that I left a bigger company to go work with Scott at a startup. I followed him to another company. That's how wonderful of a boss he is. He's just fantastic. He, again, to your point, the way he spoke to me about me, he made me feel it was always team. He always preached integrity. There was never any like dirty dealings of like, hey, let's just do this. And then we'll have this above that, that team or Never, never. There was never any politics that played into things. Like he always had us do things with our head health high. We had a a team at our other company where immediately from day one, that team was welcoming and they knew Jen's enablement. So no one was already trying to do enablement and had a hard time like letting go of that. So he made it very clear like, hey, we now have an expert in enablement. Let's make sure we like welcome her with open arms, whatever you're doing that's enablement. It's now Jen's. And everybody respected that. Like he speaks about everybody in a very, very, I don't know, just like a high respectful way. So for me, it was like, oh, okay. And it it immediately takes out any drama. No one spoke negatively about anyone else. It's just something that like when you are on a team like that, again, you enjoy going to work. You enjoy that team environment, but then you enjoy like, okay, now let me go work on that because I know that person's working on theirs. And when you come back together, it's so exciting to be like, all right, our work is pretty great. Like, this is cool. So those are the things that with Scott, and he's proud of us, right? Like, those are the things like he'll go back to the senior leadership team and show them like, hey, look what my team's doing. Like, this is great. And then the kudos, it's never like, this is what I'm doing with my team. It's this is what we are doing as a team. So those words and the way that he speaks is just like, I want to speak like Scott. Like I want to grow up and be a Scott Morris because he's that powerful (laughs) of a leader. Those are the things that like really make you excited and give you a good example of a really awesome employee. Well, Scott, I salute you, brother. It sounds as though what Scott did (laughs) was he didn't tell you these are the values that he holds, he showed you by not trashing other team members or other department heads or whatever, and always going to bat for you and talking, you know, saying the words we versus I, he didn't have to say, these are the values you just knew from his behavior. And I think that's super dope. That's very cool. Yeah. Very, he's, very he's cool. cool dude. So. Very, yeah, very cool. Very cool. Let me get your perspective on this before we before we close on today's episode. You know, going back to one of the things I remember struggling with in the workplace early on was because I wanted to impress, I didn't necessarily want to stand up for myself when I know I had been wronged in a specific scenario. And that led me to communicating in a way that wasn't inauthentic, but it wasn't necessarily how I truly felt. Now, I know you are somebody who's very, very what you see is what you get. And I think it's your I think it's one of your gifts. Have you always been that way? If not, can you tell me about what you did early on in your career that really transformed you into the way that you communicate today? Because I think a lot of sellers who are early on in their careers can learn from you. Yes. That's a fantastic question, Robbie. So I've always, I've been brought up golden rule, treat others the way that I would hope to be treated. I often compare myself to a golden retriever, tails wagging, super excited to meet people. You're lucky I don't piddle on the floor from excitement. Just excited. Like I I love people. So I quickly, like, I always tell people don't play poker with me because you will see my face change the second I am not happy with something. You can read it all over my face. And 
I used to be very, I take things personal. Even like if I worked very hard on a project, someone wasn't happy with it or someone says you went overboard, I would take that personal of like, well, I worked really hard for you. So I'd feel like a bad dog. What would happen is instead of being like, hey, Ravi, how you doing today? Blah, 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 blah. It was more of like, yep, got it. And I would be not curt, but just very direct and to the point. I'm still very nice. And so how I, to your point of like, how have I changed if so? I'm still very nice, but at the same time, I'm direct. So we jump on a meeting. Hey, Ravi, what's going on? How's life? But when we're starting to get into the business discussion, I switch that, you know, and like, hey, listen, this is not to the point. Hey, this is not what we agreed to. How are we going to fix that? How are we going to partner or align and get this to the goal that's now a week late? And people are kind of like, oh, whoa, okay. So they know I will hold them accountable. I am very direct. I will say the things people are thinking, but in a professional way. And I am known for that. Uh, I've worked at bigger companies. So in the startup world, it's not something that's, not that it's not well-received, but it's definitely something that takes people off guard because they're kind of used to like, hey, it's cool. Like, we're just kind of, you know, like going along and figuring it out as we go. Hey, there's snacks over there. Like, I'm not that. Like, I want to move I want to go and I'm already on version three when people are still figuring out version one. So it's it's me balancing and learning how to find that middle track of things. But it's definitely changed me not to be so like sunshine than thunderstorm of how I used to be. So I'm in the middle ground, but still working hard. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Yeah, it does. It gives me it gives me an insight, no doubt. I think what's interesting about your story is you mentioned in corporate, you could be a little bit more hard hitting or speak without inhibitions. But in startup land, it was different. My experience was the opposite. I found in corporate, you had to play the, yeah, for me, I found that in corporate, it was uh, so much about optics, playing the political game. It was like playing chess versus in startups. I feel like because it was more, and I, I always spent my time in early stage startups. So it was a lot more family- vibes, a lot more community focus where we could say things to one another because there was a lot of psychological safety there. So interesting you say that. Interesting, my friend. Well, listen, ladies and gents, that is Jen Glabicky. Now, as you know, my friend, the show is called The Influential Communicator. So I'd love to know from you, who is somebody that you study or observe and you go, wow, that person really is just a dope communicator and why? You. I always look at all your stuff and I'm like, damn, like you were talking about your um, the ways to communicate and the inflection in your voice. So I've been looking at that and I speak too fast. So I'm definitely working on that. So I watch to see how you speak and I clearly don't have that down. So I have a lot more studying to do. Well, thank you, my friend. I receive your compliment with open arms. I appreciate that. Thank you for the kind words. And ladies and gents, I didn't pay it to say that, all right? I didn't pay it to say that, man. I didn't pay it to say that. Normally, the response I get, I try and get that person on the show for the next episode. So that means you're going to have me for a solo episode, probably, people. But the worst is when somebody said, well, Ravi, I think Steve Jobs is fantastic. I'm like, yeah, that's that's going to be a tough one to get on the show, man. But um, yeah, that was I pre- really, really rough. It would, it would. But um, where can people learn more about what you're up to and hang out with you online or offline? Yes, definitely hit me up in LinkedIn. I have some speaking engagements coming up in the fall. So definitely check those out. 
And then just message me on LinkedIn. I am a curious enabler. I love, love, love conversation. Pick me apart with this. Like, let's have some good, healthy conversation. Let's do it. Let's do it, ladies and gents. You heard it here first. Pick Jen apart in the DMs. She enjoys it. All right, listen, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place for another episode of The Influential Communicator. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to The Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice because i tell you what my friend my big mission is to help b2b sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value so hey the more the word gets out about this podcast the more people we can gather on this mission so if you could support me then hey that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, I got love for you. All right. I'll see you on the other side.